Well, good evening. It's good to see you here tonight. And uh, before we get into God's Word, um, I wanted to kind of just share a verse that uh, God gave me this week. In fact, yesterday it was during my devotional time, and uh, just before our staff meeting, I shared it with them. I also shared it on Facebook today. Uh, But it's just a a verse that really, just really stood out to me uh, in my Bible study. And uh, I think it just, it speaks volumes to what I believe that God is going to do uh, here in this place. It says this in uh, Isaiah 29 and verse 17. It says, Is it not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? And uh, I don't know about you, but if he says it's going to be a fruitful field, we better get the laborers out in the field because it's ripened unto harvest. Well, if you got your Bibles open up to Mark chapter 9, that's where we're going to be at tonight. Tonight, we're going to talk about uh, the prayer of the desperate. And you might be asking yourself, what do you mean by the prayer of the desperate? Well, I'll simply ask this question. How many of you have ever been desperate? Okay. And what I mean by that, ever been so desperate that you just cry out to God with all your might and you are willing to give over whatever you need to for God to answer your prayer? You see, years ago, my son was about three years old. My daughter was about six years old. And I was just outside and I was mowing my yard. As I was out there mowing my yard, I mowed the front, I get to the backyard, and my kids are running around the yard just playing and having a good time. And and uh, Hannah says she's going to go inside, so I figured Caleb's just going to play in the yard and just wait till his big sister gets back out there. And so uh, she comes back out, and she comes to the backyard. I'm about halfway through, and she goes, Dad, I can't find Caleb. And I said, well, maybe he went inside, honey. Go check. Go see if he's inside. Your mama's inside, and I'm out here mowing the yard. Just, just go check and see if you can't find your brother. She comes back out, and she goes, Dad, I can't find Caleb. So I let go of the mower, and I just... I'm, I'm frustrated because I'm just about done. You know how it is. You're just about finished with what you need to do. And so I walk around the house. I'm thinking, well, maybe he's just somewhere outside. So I walk around the house, and I'm, I'm yelling for Caleb. Caleb, where are you, boy? Where are you? Nope, can't find him. So I go inside the house. I'm thinking, well, maybe he just went inside, and his sister didn't know about it. So I go inside the house, and I check all downstairs. I look through the bathrooms, and I run upstairs, and I start looking through all the bedrooms, and look under all the beds, and look through all the closets, and I can't find my son. So I go back outside. I'm, Caleb, where are you? Caleb, I go to the woods. Caleb, I have a lot of woods in my backyard. Caleb, are you out there? Caleb, what are you doing? Can't find him. So I'm starting to get real worried at this point. So I go back into the front yard and I'm yelling, Caleb, my neighbors come out. They hear us yelling. What's going on? I said, I can't find my son. Have you guys seen him? Did he go up the road? Because they had been known sometimes to get in their little, uh, my, my daughter had a Barbie Jeep and my son had a Diego Jeep, you know, and they'd been known just to cruise the neighborhood, you know. And uh, of course, they usually didn't cruise it without us. And so I thought, well, maybe he got in his Jeep. Well, no, his Jeep was in the garage. So I'm thinking, where's my son? And so my friends, all the neighbors, they start coming over and several of my neighbors say, well, here, we'll go check the woods with you. So maybe he's fallen. Maybe he's hit his head. But I, I don't know. So I start checking all the woods. I can't find my son. I go back to the front yard. My wife calls the cops. We're concerned. We can't find. We're 15 minutes into this, and we can't find our son. We're going, the 15 minutes felt like two hours. We were going crazy. And I remember walking around the side of the house and coming to the backyard, and I get right there by my deck, and I just put my head on my deck, and I just start crying. And I said, oh, God, please let me find my son. 
I'm begging you, let me find my son. There's no telling where he's at. He's not been up the road. We don't know if any cars have passed by. He's not in the woods. I can't find him. I'm begging you, please let me find my son. Just bawling my eyes out. About that time, I walk around to the back side of the deck, and I hear the neighbor's little girl goes, here he is. I'm coming around the corner going, honey, you better not be lying. You know, <laughs> I was just like, are you kidding me? And I, sure enough, I come around the corner, and there's my son. And I just grab him and just wrap my arms in, around him, and I just I don't let him go. My wife comes out, and she, or comes around from the other side, and she just wraps her arms around him, and we just won't let him go. I said, son, where have you, where have you been? And he said, well, I was hiding from you. I said, what do you mean hiding? He said, I got in the car. And he said, I heard y'all screaming for me, and I thought I was in trouble. I was desperate. Desperate. I needed to find my son. And the only person I knew to cry out to was God. Have you ever been to that point where you're just so desperate, you know the only person that can help you in the midst of your troubles is God? Well, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, the prayer of the desperate. Because it is such a beautiful thing when we look at the honesty behind that prayer. So let's look at four discoveries about the prayer of the desperate. First, let's look at a desperate plea, beginning in verse 14. It says, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. So let me give you a little background. Jesus has just gone up on the mountain. He has just been transfigured before Peter, James, and John. So they've been able to see something spectacular. They've seen Jesus in all of his glory. They've seen Elijah and Moses come down and speak with him about his death. Peter sticks his foot in his mouth when he says, let me make three tabernacles for you guys. In other words, I want all of you to stay here. But that was not God's intention. God's intention was to point him to Christ and point him to the mission and what he had come to do, and that was die for their sins. But they've come back down off of the mountain. So these three, these three men, along with Jesus, are now going to run into the other nine disciples who have been cornered by the scribes. And it says they were questioning with them. And 15, it says, And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. In other words, every time people saw Jesus, he drew a crowd. Wherever he went, he drew a crowd. Everybody wanted to be there. Everybody wanted to talk to him. Everybody wanted to question him. Everybody wanted to know what he had to say. And of course, everybody was bringing everybody they knew that was sick to him because they wanted healing. So all kinds of great things were happening. Every time they saw Jesus, there was such an amazement that came over them. In verse 16, it says, And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? In other words, Jesus was going to take care of his disciples. Why are you talking to my disciples? What questions do you have for them? If you want to talk to somebody, come talk to me, is what Jesus was basically saying. And in verse 17, finally somebody speaks up. He says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. In other words, this father was desperate. He said, I came to get help, and I couldn't find you, so I asked your disciples. And he said, here's what he asked them about. He said, my son hath a dumb spirit. In other words, he was possessed by a demon. 
And this demon was causing the child not to be able to speak. He couldn't speak. He couldn't share with his father. He couldn't tell what the problems were. And he says, and he taketh him and he teareth him. In other words, he causes great pains upon my son. Wherever he goes, and we're going to see some of the things that the demon caused him as far as that pain. But teareth him means to render asunder his flesh. In other words, to harm him in a great way. And he says, and he foameth and gnashes with his teeth. You ever gnashed your teeth? It means to grit. You know, you're in such pain, you grit your teeth. In other words, you see people when they're about to do something that, you know, medically that might hurt and they can't give you something to numb it, they'll put a stick in your mouth and tell you to bite down. All right? Gnashing your teeth is without the stick. You're just gritting your teeth as hard as you can because it hurts. He says, he foameth and he gnasheth his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples, now get this, that they should cast him out and they could not. Now you might say, well, what do you mean? Why would they ask the disciples? Because... The disciples weren't Jesus. Well, you got to realize that they had been given power before this. If you flip over to Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, it says this, And he called unto him the twelve, and he began to send them out by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. So understand, Jesus had already sent these men out. They had already been casting out demons. They had already been making blind to see. They had made the deaf to hear. They would even made the lame to rise up. They had done great miracles. And now all of a sudden, this guy brings his demon-possessed son, and they can't do it. And they're going to later question that. They're going to be like, why couldn't we do this? We don't understand. We had the power before. Where's the power gone? Why is this happening? And this man's going, I was just looking for help, and I can't find help, so I really need help. You ever thought about that? You just really need help? You just, sometimes when you need help, you just need somebody to listen, don't you? You just want somebody to hear what's going on in your life. You just want somebody to care enough that, guess what? They don't use this, they use these. And that's where he had come to. He's like, Lord, I need some help. He went to the only person that he could go to. Well, let's look at the desperate situation. Verse 19, he answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Isn't that interesting? O faithless generation. Well, I'm going to tell you, I feel like the father had some faith, right? He had faith enough to bring him or try to bring him to Jesus. He had faith enough to believe that Jesus' disciples had been with him long enough that they could do something about it. So he did have a little faith. You hear people talk about all the time just having faith as small as a mustard seed, right? You hear mustard seed faith. You hear that all the time. Can I just tell you what that means? Mustard seed faith. A lot of people look at it and say, oh, I just have to have mustard seed faith. That is the minimal mark. You understand? God doesn't want you to just have mustard seed faith. He says if you have that, great things can happen. But, oh, if you just had greater faith than that. That's the minimum. That's the minute. The least of what you need to have is mustard seed faith. But here he comes, this man. This man had a little bit of faith. He also may have been saying this statement to his disciples. My non-disciples, you guys used to do this. What happened? Where's your faith? 
What happened to you? Why couldn't you perform this miracle? Why couldn't you cast out this demon? Why couldn't you help this man? I went away just for a brief moment. I expected you to carry on the kingdom. What's going to happen when Jesus is gone? He's going to expect them to carry on. Where's your faith? What's happened to you guys? But look at verse 20. It says, and they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. Can I tell you something? Every time demons came in the presence of Jesus, they always fell down. (laughs) They never could stay on their feet. Every time. Whether it was they fell down and they decried, you were the son of the living God. Or whether they fell down and tried to cause great pain to the one that they possessed. They did everything they could to harm these people. Here's what you need to understand. And this is so important for us to grasp this. It is Satan who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if you ever, listen to this, if you ever tear somebody down, it is not of God. It's not. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if you do the same thing, you're following Satan, not God. You see, God comes to lift people up, to encourage, to bring them out of their desperate situation. He comes to bring people hope. And we as his people should do the same. This father was desperate. This son fell down. He tear himself. He fell on the ground, wallowed, foaming. He says, and he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came upon him? And he said, of a child. 22 says, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus, this has been going on for a long time since he was just a little child. And here's what it does. It throws him into the fire. In other words, this child be walking down the street with his father and all of a sudden they might see something cooking on a cauldron and the demon would just throw the child into the fire. Or they might be passing by some water and the demon would try to drown the child in the water. You say, would he do that? The answer is yes. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You better believe he would have. He doesn't care if you're a child. He doesn't care if you're a woman. He doesn't care if you're a man. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. And that's what he wanted to do to this child. This father was desperate for help. Oh, God, if you could just do something. He says, have compassion on us. Can I tell you something? There is no better person to have compassion on you than the one who is the most compassionate, and that's Jesus. You'll never find anybody... Why not cling to those promises? Oh, God, you say that you are merciful and gracious and kind and forgiving. If that is true, then cry your sins out to God and he'll cleanse you. If you cry out to him for mercy and grace and compassion because of a situation that you're going through, you're crying out the promises of God because he has promised that he will be those things for you. And so this father said, oh, please, if you could just but show us compassion and help us. Think about this. If thou canst do anything... He simply was saying his faith was shaken because of the disciples' inability. But then he says, and help us. The word help comes from the word bothel. Simply means to run to the aid of one who cries for help. I want you to listen to this. Tommy Tenney says it this way. Prayers of desperation rarely spring from moments of joy or deep satisfaction. They are conceived in crisis 
gestated in the gruesome grind of life and birthed in turmoil and pain. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes God will allow you to go through difficulties because his desire is to get you to cry out to him, to turn to him, to desperately plead for him. God will speak. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 1. Look at Hannah. You think about her prayer. Isn't it funny? She was at the altar and she was praying and she was desperately crying out to God and the spiritual leader Eli thought what? She drunk. Who else would be Talking their mouth like that to the Lord, unless they're drunk, right? Drunk on the Spirit. I mean, she was crying out. She was desperate for God to move. Think about Jonah in Jonah chapter 2, when he's in the belly of the, you ready for this? Great fish. Don't call it a whale. It says great fish. We just assume it was a whale, right? But what did he cry out? He desperately cried out for God's help in the midst of the great fish. And, of course, God ended up spitting him out on the land. You see, these people that cried out in desperation, they saw God answer in a mighty, mighty way. Number three, let's look at a desperate prayer, verse 23. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Did you hear that? All things are possible. You see, man may say it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. There's no doubt about it. If you believe, though, you've got to understand, the word believe means so much more than what our English language gives to it. You've got to understand that. The word believe, at least the way we think about it, is if I just know something about it and I believe in it. Some of you, how many of you in here believe in ghosts? I knew somebody was going to say that. Holy Ghost, right? Yeah, I knew somebody go there. Now you think about that. Now, it's funny because there could be no proof, but they'll say, well, I believe. But believe is more than just knowing thoughts about something, right? The word pistuo, that is to use the word for belief or faith, means this. Guess what? How many of you realize that you expressed faith when you came in the sanctuary tonight? Do you know you expressed faith? You say, well, how did I express faith, brother? Well, how many of you, I'm just wondering, when you came in, you tested out your pew. Will this hold me up? Right? You didn't sit there and push down on it, right? And then you didn't do this. Right? You just did what? You came in and you went, that's faith. What it is, faith is putting all of your weight on something. It is believing with all your heart, all your mind, all of your soul, all of your will, all that you are, and putting your complete and utter trust in it. Jesus said, if you believe. You see, the Bible tells us that without faith, we can't please God, Hebrews 11. It's impossible to please God without faith. Why? Because if you don't have faith, you won't believe in him. And therefore, if you can't believe in him, you can't please him. He says it's impossible. So he says here, if you'll just believe, and if you believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And you say, here's the thing. Faith never sets any limits on God's power. Do you believe that God is omnipotent? 
Whew, that's awful light right there. You might say, well, what does omnipotent mean? Do you believe that God is all-powerful? If you are living, the answer is yes, absolutely, right? Because he created you. He created you. He gives you the very breath that you breathe. He gives you the jobs that you have. He gives you the ability to get up every morning. Everything that we see and know was given to us by God. So you better believe my God has all power. And here's the thing. God can give power to those who are powerless and still never lose any of his power. He is the all-powerful one. He is the rechargeable battery that never needs to be recharged. He just keeps going. Energizer bunny, right? Boom, 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 boom. He keeps going and going and going. And he never loses power. Never. He can do all things. Look at verse 24. This is where I want us to get to. And straightway, the father child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Probably never a more genuine prayer has ever been prayed. God, I believe. But I also know there's some doubt in my heart. And where there's doubt, God, I pray you remove it. Help my unbelief. Because I'm going to tell you what, that, that prayer has forever stuck in my mind ever since I read it long ago. Because I'm going to be honest with you, there are times in my life where I cried out to God And I begged God and I pleaded with God and I wanted God to move in a mighty way. But to be honest with you, there was that little devil sitting on my shoulder going, he ain't going to do it. He ain't going to do it. He ain't going to do it. And a little ounce of me was listening. And I had to cry out like this, Father, Lord, I believe. But where I have unbelief, please remove it. Please take it far away from me. I need your help. I'm here to tell you, every one of us at some point has probably been and doubted their faith. You know why? Because we're human. We're human. Can I, let me just ask this question real quick. I, just, I need to help myself out. You ready for this? I'd like to know, is there anybody in here perfect? I'll wait. I got a little kid in the back raising his hands. We're going to pray for him. No, I'm just kidding. You think about, nobody in here is perfect, right? Not a single one of us. So guess what? There's going to be times where in our lives we're going to doubt. Every one of us is going to doubt it sometime. Now, here's the thing. Oftentimes, people say, well, if I doubt, does that mean I've lost? You haven't lost anything. It just means you need somebody to come and pick you up when you doubt. You need somebody to encourage you when you've fallen down. You need somebody to help you. Here's the thing that I have found. You ready for this? This is what kills me. As Christians, sometimes we'll shoot our wounded. Oh, you're hurt? Well, you're no value to me anymore. Mm-mm. You know what Jesus did when he saw people hurting? Got right down there with them, took them by the arm, and he picked them up. You see, if we as Christians will do that, can I tell you something? We'll change our community. We will change this city. Because people won't understand what Christian love really looks like until we start showing it. 
You see, Jesus had compassion. And guess what? He didn't look at the guy and go, I can't believe that you're doubting still. Didn't I just tell you if you had faith, all things were possible to you? He didn't look at that guy and go, didn't I just explain faith to you and now you're telling me you still doubt? Isn't that what we do sometimes? Somebody comes up and says, well, I'm just having a hard time and I just don't understand. And oftentimes we'll go, well, you just believe in Jesus. Can I just tell you, that's not always the answer. I mean, it is the answer, but what I'm telling you is, guess what? They might need a little bit more. And I'm going to tell you what's really cool. In Corinthians, and Paul talks about this. Maybe you've gone through some struggles that another brother or sister has been through, and you went through those struggles so you could help that brother or sister who's going through the same struggle. Because sometimes they need to know they're not the only ones. That's how you help people in their unbelief. You see, here's the thing. It's, it's always funny to me. People will come up and Sunday afternoon, we didn't get to leave till after 1 o'clock because we were talking to a young lady. And people were coming up and saying, well, why did you stay and talk to her so long? Or why, why did you? I'll tell you why I did it. I'll stay as long as I need to because she needed help. I'll stay however long I have to if people need help. Why? Because there was a time where I needed help and somebody was there for me. And see, he just is honest. Here's the thing. Oftentimes, we'll shoot the people that are honest. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. In fact, that is just an honest prayer that I guarantee you at some point in your life, you've probably prayed it or you just doubted and didn't say help my unbelief. You just thought it was okay to not believe. But can I just tell you something? God knows your heart and God knows your struggles. And the great thing is Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest, a high priest who's been through everything we've been through yet without sin. You want to know why? So that he can lift us up and he can show us the way. Folks, I'm here to tell you tonight, if you doubt, you're not in trouble. You just need some help. Why do you think we have church? Do you realize what church is for? It's a sick bed for unhealthy people. I might be the doctor, but I get sick too. So guess what? That's why there's nurses in the church and not physical nurses. Y'all go with my illustration here for a moment, all right? But my point is simply this. We all need encouragement. We all need strength. And when you see a brother that's fallen down, pick him up. When you see a sister that is in anguish, pray for her. Love on them. Care for them. Help them. Because that's what Jesus would do. And that's what we as Christians... The word Christian means a little Christ. All right? In other words, if you were to walk around, you're basically saying, I'm Christ Jr. So if we're going to say that we're like Christ, then guess what? We better start acting like it. That's a desperate prayer. But lastly, let's look at a desperate question. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. Now, I'm going to tell you why that's important. Because Jesus would later tell the story about a guy that got his life cleaned up. You ready for this? The spirit got cast out of him. 
problem was it said when that spirit got cast out of him, what happened a little bit later on? After the guy cleaned up his life a little bit, he went and he found seven more foul spirits and he brought them in and he attacked them and it was worse than it was before. You might say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has everything to do with it. Do you believe in demon possession today? The answer I, for me is yes. I do believe in it. But I'm also going to tell you this. Christians cannot be demon possessed because we're already possessed by the Holy Spirit and he doesn't have room for them. So that can't happen. I'm sorry, you may have been taught differently, but a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. Just not going to happen. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, and there's no room for them. But here's the problem. A person can have a demon cast out of them, but if they don't get filled with the Holy Spirit, they've just opened themselves up to a worse attack. doesn't do any good. But here he's telling them, he says, look, he looks at that spirit and he says, not only come out of him, but he says, enter no more unto him. You can't come back. This is not your child any longer. Verse 26, and the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead in so much that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Everybody else saw him as dead. Jesus knew he was alive and he picked him up. But here's where the question comes. Look at verse 28. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Tell you why the disciples failed, I believe. The disciples failed even though they had cast out demons, even though they had made blind see, even though they had caused those who were deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, lame to walk even though they had done all those things here's the problem i believe they began to trust in their own power and forgot who the real power was you see if you become detached according to john 15 from the vine you're going to bear no fruit but if you're attached to the vine you'll bear a lot of fruit you see we've got to be attached to the source that gives us strength and when they forgot where their source came from, when they forgot where their power came from. And that's why he says it comes out by prayer and fasting. In other words, by praying, they were trusting in the one they were praying to, not in themselves. So Jesus told them, it could have been done, but you forgot where your power comes from. Can I tell you something? Today, there is great power in prayer and fasting. A lot of people say that fasting is an Old Testament relic. What did Jesus tell his disciples? He talked to them when they come and they were questioned about, being, about fasting. And he said, well, while the bridegroom's here, they don't need to fast. But when the bridegroom leaves, well, guess what? He left. He's coming back. You realize when he comes back, we won't need to fast again. So it was still important then. It's still important today. Fasting is showing our utter need for God to move in our lives. And we'll talk about that. Because that is a very important part of our prayer life as well. We've got to understand where our power comes from. My question tonight for you is simply this. How desperate are you to see God move in your life? Is there a situation in your life where you need to see God move? Where you need God to help you? Maybe it's direction for your life. Maybe it's something going on at your job. Maybe it's a family member you want to see saved. You ever thought about being desperate for the lost people in this world? 
I know a lady, and I loved her so much. Sweet, sweet lady at my first church. Her husband had been lost for 30 years. 30 years she prayed for her husband. Every day she prayed for him to be saved. Every Sunday she'd lay his clothes out on the bed and she would say, are you going to come to church with me today? No, I don't think I'm going to come today. That's all she'd do and she'd leave. She'd pray for him and she'd pray for him. All of a sudden one Sunday, I've been at that church about eight years and I see him come in and I, I about passed out. Because she had already told me, she said, she said, Brother John, you walk in the front door, he'll go out the back door, even though we don't have a back door. She said, he will not stay if you come to the house. So I, I honored her, I wouldn't go, but every time I saw him, I'd talk to him outside in public. I'd talk to him, and I'd try to share just a little something with him. Eight years, he walks into the church, and I'm thinking, it's a Christmas miracle. He came for about four months, and then there was that one Sunday. He started walking down the aisle. You thought revival broke out in that church. Everybody in the church had been praying for him that I know of for eight years, his wife for 30 years, and they were shouting, hooping, hollering. It was a glorious day. And I think they were almost scared him off as he walked down the aisle because he didn't know what was going on in church. He had never seen that before. But she was so desperate to see her husband saved, she never gave up on praying for him. How desperate are you for people who need Jesus? How desperate are you for your children to know Jesus? How desperate are you for your children to live godly lives? You see, for me, my prayer for my kids for the longest time when they were first born was, God, I pray they come to know you and live for you all of their days. That's always been my prayer for them. Now that they've gotten saved, my prayer is, God, bring them a godly spouse. It's going to encourage and strengthen them in their walk with you and lead them in what you would have them to do. You see, I want God to continuously guide my kids because guess what? If they're anything like me, they need all the guidance they can get. And if your kids are anything like you, probably the same thing, right? How desperate are you tonight? If there's something you are so desperate to see God move and help you with, I pray you'll come this evening. Don't be ashamed to fill this altar. Don't be ashamed to come up here. And here's the truth of the matter. If you just say, well, Brother John, I'm just like that guy. I believe, but I've got some unbelief. You grab somebody else up that'll help fill in the gap for you. You take somebody else. Here's the thing. I, I know this for sure. There's brothers in here and sisters in here that would love to pray with you. There's no doubt in my heart. And maybe they can be that strength to get you over that bump and you see God move in a mighty way. I believe in the power of prayer. And I believe that the more people are praying, the better it is.